to see for yourselves one of the most amazing events. When is this great experiment for me? Impervious to heat, impossible to move. Is it human or inhuman? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It's time for the Beaky Drummy Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast here at MCM. Day two, joining me, Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hello, welcome back to MCM. Mr. Lee Price. Hello, welcome back. And providing audio skills, Mr. Callan Danes. Hi. How are we all this fine Sunday morning? Feeling a lot more awake this morning. Better than yesterday. Lee, did you get some sleep? Yes, I did. Keith, did you not get lost on a bus today? No, it was fine. Train, mostly train journeys, so that's quite good. It's very relaxed. Um, it's been yeah. ages since we had a bus life. Need to bring that back. Oh, it's, it's winter. They're starting to uh, get together in packs now for warmth. So <laughs> don't tell me about that. I had that yesterday. <laughs> it's making it a lot easier to do my observations of buses. You see, so I've got, I've got the hide set up. So very soon I'll start reporting. Look, look, look forward to that BBC Planet David Attenborough narrated series, Buses by Keith, coming to BBC <laughs> next year. Yeah, it'd be good. It's actually it's very tricky to find footage of buses. They're uh, very elusive things. So, um, yeah. you know, I, it's, it's it's ten years in the making. This yeah. uh, show. Well, it's like you said. They travel in packs. They yeah. you very rarely see a lone bus. They're always considering in the size. And I mean, you do get the occasional young pup, like a minibus, floating around. But they seem to never travel in the same kind of pack. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a seasonal thing, and they're very very skittish as well. Um, you, see, you, you have to toss coins and bus passes in the street to attract them. Um, it's a very tricky thing. But yeah, bus life will be returned. <laughs> Returning to the subject of hand, we're going to have a bit of a British sci-fi theme to this show. So we have the amazing Doctor Who cast coming up. Well, a few of the Doctor Who cast. You could get all Not the of whole them. Doctor Who cast. <laughs> that would just true. be a convention on its own if you could get every single Doctor Who actor in. Right, who we got, Ryan? Who we we have David Morrison. We have Lala Ward. And Callan, we have the third person. Michael Jaston. Michael Jaston. Who is, um, best, uh, whose name is best known for playing the Valyard back in uh, season, I don't remember, but it was yes. during Colin Baker's run. Yeah, and done Trial a few. Trial of the Time Lord, yeah. Yeah, done a few big Finnish audio productions yeah. as well. Oh, also has um, Lala Ward. Yes. Yeah, so um, interesting to speak to them about that. Sort yeah. Of how they... And you may know David Morrissey from a tiny little show that you may not have heard of called The Walking Dead. No, I don't know that one. Wasn't Not. he in an episode of Doctor Who? He was not in an episode of Doctor Who. He was well. also. So, bringing it full circle again. Yes, but who keep, else we got there, Keep right? on a British sci-fi theme. We have Mr. Andrew Lee Potts, who you might remember from Primeval. Yeah, he's um, working on a few exciting things and yeah. hints at some upcoming projects up to come. Yeah, so I think he's doing good. a few web series nowadays. Uh, yes, he's got his, he's still working on his web series, The Wireless. Mm-hmm. And The Snarling. Keith, do you want to explain about The Snarling? Yeah, Snowing's a kind of uh, independent UK horror comedy film uh, in the vein of American Werewolf in London, which stars Lawrence Saunders, who by happen chance <laughs> happened to be in a DVD extra on a recent Matt Smith uh, collected volume of Doctor Who episodes. Oh, so brilliant. the whole Doctor Who thing is, is there amongst everything. Oh, well, that's good. So come in full circle with Doctor Who. Yeah. I'm also going to mention it, mainly because we can rib it. Game have got a giant Fallout 76 bus here. Yes. Which is probably the same size as the anger 
focused on Fallout 76 online at the minute. Oh, that game. That game. It's yes. like so many people down. It's like, oh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Not the new Fallout, the old... Uh, the, it's the new MMRPG. MMRPG. Yeah, Fallout 76, yeah. Yeah. Impressively, though, the bus is here on yeah. time, so yeah. that's quite impressive. I'm taking it's, that it's away. It's a captive from it. bus. A post, captive post-apoculptic bus. game, but the buses are on time. Yeah, it's like it's King more, Kong. It's there for display purposes yeah, only. It's more the bus. <laughs> it's, it's not so much the buses are on time. It's more that the buses don't move anymore. They just they're just shells of buses. Just At least you're guaranteed to find one. Yeah, exactly. it's like an elephant's graveyard, but with a yeah. bus in the middle of the Comic Con. Shall we move on to some actual content now? Then? Yeah, shall we move on to some content? We'll catch you in a little bit. Bye. I want to talk to you about Doctor Who, if that's all right. Yes. So, how do you feel playing... Obviously, you played the Valyard back in... Was it in the 1970s? 32 years ago. 32 years ago? I nearly swore then. 32 (laughs) years ago. How does it feel having people that still sort of recognise you as that role so many years on? It, it's quite unbelievable. I've got three things in my career. One is Doctor Who, which was 32 years ago. One is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was 40 years ago. And I saw the director, John Irving, who's done a lot of other marvellous stuff uh, as well. And Only Fools and Horses, which was okay. 1992 or so. I'd never have thought, especially Doctor Who, from... I'd be here all these years later. I've been to America about four times, or Glasgow, all over the place. I'd never have believed it possible. And the same as Tinker Taylor. I still get nice little repeats for all the stuff I did because I've done all the John Le Carre books as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's quite unbelievable. Uh, my, I've done a lot of other things. And then Only Fools and Horses, which I did eight days of work on. Well, you were just in one episode of that. I, yes, one episode. And I, but I was the one who found the watch. Yes. So it's absolutely, utterly iconic. <laughs> As they say. You know, I hate that word nowadays. <laughs> I mean, the other day, I, for charity, I, I, I'd got, I've got a lot of um, Only Fools and Horses scripts. And I signed one of them. My son sold it. It was going to a lifeboat charity or something. It went for um, £750. And my son said, if you'd got David Jason and, and, and uh, Nicholas Lindhurst, it would have gone for 1,500 quid. <laughs> but it, as you just said, I mean, all these years later, yeah. and when I was doing it, Doctor Who could have finished mm. because of the... Yeah. nonsense that was going on with grade it wasn't just grade it was a lot of other people it could have finished yeah. do you think that that sort of um, obviously we saw the reunion of uh, the bringing back of Doctor Who in 2005 with the new series um, but as well we've started to see um, obviously only Falls and Horses never really went away but it started to come back with like the movies and then obviously um but I was, yeah, I was in special. one of the three that were yeah. classics. Yeah, they did some afterwards which weren't as good. Mm-hmm. It's still going out on uh, UK Gold, I think. Yeah, it's still all the old reruns of it. Yeah. Was it interesting reprising the role of the Valyard for Big Finish audio? Sorry. Was it interesting reprising the role for Big Finish with the new audio dramas? Oh, it was great because I, 
I shouldn't really say this, but I will. The, the scripts on Big Finish, I think, were better than the, the television series. I mean, Holmes okay, and so was another writer. Yeah. Then they got the Baker twins in. Who were, don't get me wrong, they were lovely people. I don't know whether they're still around. But um, the, the scripts they wrote weren't very good at all, I don't think. Yeah, cause big finish to the big finish scripts are superb, I think. So they seem to revel in the quality and bringing back the original characters and the classics and making sure they're keeping true to those original classic Doctor Who stories. Yeah, but it was written so well that I just went into it again. I had to watch uh, how I'd done it because it was about... Oh, the first one was about ten years after I'd done it. Mm -hmm. well, I did it with Bonnie Langford, I think it was. Yeah. But it, it still works, I think. Yeah. Do you think that that's in part due to it not being as... It, it doesn't require like visuals, so obviously you can create a lot more just working on like what people can hear and working with like allowing them to sort of picture it themselves rather than having to sort of portray it on screen? Yeah, because it's like radio. If somebody comes on the radio and said, I'm, I'm Alexander the Great, and if their voice is right, you accept them as that. And you, everybody has their own image of who they think Alexander the Great looks like. So it's easier. But with a Valiard, it was, it was easier because I've got the right voice for it. And people just imagined me as they'd, they'd seen me on the television, I suppose. Um, coming back to sort of um, new who, as people call it, um, how did you feel about, um, obviously he's left the show now, but Stephen Moffat's decision not to adapt the Valyard into the modern series um, with sort of Matt Smith or Peter Capaldi? They should never have even mentioned that the Valyard was the evil side of the Colin Baker Doctor Who. It was just a stupid thing to do. They were left with it. Mm. What was John Hurt playing? Yeah. What were other people playing? <laughs> and the Valyard has been mentioned. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I've said to a lot of fans who've said why that you can't go back to the Valyard because it's a bit old-fashioned nowadays. And I said, I'm not touting for work, but everybody knows I'm one of the doctors. I sign a lot of things where you get all the doctors and me at the end with a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the doctors to all the Doctor Who fans, and I'm proud of it. And I'm not touting for work or anything, but I wish Moffat would accept the fact that I am one of the doctors. Yeah. And I got, it got a bit silly because... Uh, the Valyard has been left in abeyance, apart from, apart from the big Finnish productions, I think. Do you think, if obviously it's a new showrunner now, and um, that's we don't know where it will go after this, but if further down the line they decided, okay, we're going to bring you in, would you would you go for that? Of course you? I would. Yeah. Well, apart from the fact that you're going to make a hell of a lot of money, but I'd love to do the part again. <laughs> yeah. I think with the new continuity with Chris Chibnall being the showrunner, this is probably an opportunity to revisit some of the possible errors that people feel like Moffat and maybe Russell T. Davis made, and this is like a new birth of the show. And how do you feel about Jodie's version of the Doctor? Going where? Um, with the new direction of the Doctor, how do you feel like Jodie's version of the character? Have you been keeping up with the sort of latest season at all? I'm not sure. You see, I work with Moffat on press gang yeah. that was one of his first things and I thought at the time I thought this guy's got a hell of a lot of talent which he has and I like working on that that yeah. was with um, Julia Sawala and Dexter Fletcher, Dexter Fletcher and yeah. 
was years and years ago, and I was playing Doctor, was I playing Colonel X or something? Mm-hmm. But it was, um, yeah, I don't think you could, you, you could, how could you bring the Valiant back? Because you'd have to make a whole, whole series about the Valiant. I think you'd have to just sort of show like the transitioning of the Doctor slightly going down a darker path, but I don't know how you'd split the two then. No. Sort of the but as I the said, they should the never have written it because it was a silly thing to do and it's left them with something that's a puzzle. You, if you look on the website, there's so many blogs saying, why don't they bring... I went to America not long ago and there are whole placards saying, bring back the Valiard. <laughs> <laughs> I love these great big Comic-Con ones because there's so much people watching to do, if you can call them people. I mean, there's there's sort of costumes and stuff to look at that's just so amazing. And there are always new things to see. The only thing that's difficult is you're stuck at your table, so you can't get out and actually look around much and see... But a lot goes past you. So. Of course, people love meeting you, I'm sure. Um, lots of lovely, excited Hootlians. I'm curious, when they do meet you, what are the most common questions? What are the things people always Oh, they always want to know what your favourite story is. They always want to know who your favourite monster is. I can't tell you how fed up I am with now saying Tom Baker every time. Um, and he... <laughs> um, yeah, and they often want your help as to which photograph to choose which I don't mind doing, but really they need to choose the one they want for themselves. Quite a few of the photographs I've got today are from a film I did called Vampire Circus, and so I get sort of Hammer Horror film fans as well as Doctor Who ones, which makes a change. Um, Yeah, that's mostly the sort of stuff they're asking. Picking up on Hammer, obviously that's um, another glorious legacy to be a part of. I mean, what does it mean for you to be part of a very important piece of... uh, Cinema landscape. Well, it's odd because at the time doing it, one never had much idea of, of that. I didn't know anything about Hammer films. And Vampire Circus was a very odd, it was an oddity in the canon. I think it was very unlike most of the mm. Hammer films. And I don't think at the time anybody thought all that particularly much of it. But like a lot of things that don't do particularly well when they first come out, they become sleepers and they become cults later on. And as I understand it, Vampire Circus is one of those. But I loved it. It was the first job I got after leaving drama school, so I knew absolutely nothing about filming, and I was called every single day for six weeks on the shoot and learnt so much from everybody. I loved it. I mean, when you think back in those kind of learning moments, the ones that stand out the most for you, kind of particular lessons that you very clearly sort of remember picking up? Uh, I remember um, we all had to sit down and have a talk from Mary Chipperfield, whose circus it was that brought all the animals, and, and the... She said, um, you will find that the bars on the cages are very wide so that the cameras can shoot between them. Um, Please do not go too close. Please do not attempt to do what somebody did on a shoot that they were on a few weeks before where a couple of the crew had had a bet that they could pull the whisker of one of the tigers without it waking up, and he lost his arm. You know, those animals move so fast... So actually it was a thrill being around them and being able to look at them. Um, I learnt more about what to do around wild animals, I think, than I ever learned to do about filming. But, um, but you just got a chance to watch sort of really good actors working and that's how you learn. And people were very kind. Robin Sachs, who played my brother and I, it was both, for both of us it was our first job. And Adrian Corrie, Thorley Walters, Lawrence Payne, all the other people... 
in the film and the crew were incredibly kind and patient and I think rather enjoyed having these two little newbies around to, to tell them how to do stuff. So we were lucky, very lucky. I think obviously um, Doctor Who is unique amongst all of the franchises that are celebrated here and its longevity um, and the way it seems to continually be evolving for new generations. Mm. I'm curious if you've had a chance to watch any of our most recent Doctor's work and how you feel about anything. I haven't really. Um, It sounds terrible to say, having been in it, I'm not a huge science fiction fan. I slightly understand better now why science fiction is important. Working with Douglas Adams, I mean, Douglas was incredibly science literate. And he and my almost now ex-husband, but who I love and adore, Richard Dawkins, sort of both, and actually it was Douglas who introduced Richard and me, both of them explained that science fiction is a great place in which to do thought experiments. And if you understand real science and you simply fiddle with one bit of it, you don't just come up with some totally abstractly impossible idea. You just change something in the way of the laws of physics, like there's no gravity or time is different or or something like that. Then you can run a thought experiment on what would science be like in that world if that one thing was changed or a couple of things were changed. So, in fact, science fiction, I think, is educational and I think it's really interesting. And, and the great masters of it, the Arthur C. Clarks and people, really understood that. Um, so I'm sort of sad that I don't, in fact, watch much of it, actually, and I haven't seen any of the, the newer Doctors, mainly because I actually don't know how to watch television anymore. I've got this unbelievably complicated setup at home where, where I can watch Netflix and, and all those other things and watch movies, and I can even do DVDs, but getting BBC One, Two or Three and the sort of basic channels, I now find more or less beyond me, and I, I kind of slightly hanker for the old days where you just pressed a button on the actual machine and you got the programme you wanted to watch because I don't know how to do it now. So going back to Doctor Who, uh, I know you've been uh, getting involved with some of the Big Finish audio. Yes, I love doing them. (laughs) Can you talk about um, some of what's upcoming with that? Um, I know you've been recording with um, Tom Baker. Yes. Talk about that a bit more about... Um, I'm never allowed to talk about what's coming up because we signed this agreement not to divulge what the stories are going to be about and, and end up with sort of spoilers for people. And they film so filmed, they record so far in advance that I'm never quite sure until fans come up and tell me or you tell me <laughs> what they're actually listening to at the moment because it might be something that I recorded over a year ago. So you begin to... Um, It's a bit like fans coming up and saying, what was it like doing Destiny of the Daleks? Well, this is now about 40 years ago, and and I've got a really good line now. I say, well, I love doing it. You tell me what you felt about the programme. You tell me about the storyline, because I'm thinking, I don't know, I can't remember anymore. Um, I love doing the, the Big Finish stories. I think it's wonderful that they they've developed our characters that we can go on and become things like in my case president of Gallifrey which I would never have done in the television so it's really nice to be able to 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 move on with the character but also the thing I love most is that you get to work with members of the cast who you've never worked with I meet them on these conventions I meet people like Louise Jameson and Colin Baker and so on but Big Finish gives me a chance actually to work with them. So the business of um, moving around the characters and, and reconfiguring the interactions between people is, is wonderful on Big Finish. 
episode, oh, one of my favourite episodes is Doctor Who, City of Death. Yes. How much fun was it to shoot in Paris? It was pure hell from beginning to end. There was no fun about it. We had a, we had, I mean, Paris is a gorgeous city, but I tell you what, this was no way to see Paris. It was, we were literally running from location to location. We had so little time. I can't remember how many actual minutes of cut film there are was got out of those three days or whatever it is we were there but on a feature film you'd be jolly lucky if you got about a minute and a half out of that we got something like 20 minutes I think and it was the most chaotic schedule Tom's got legs about five miles longer than mine so running down those streets you know I was constant I looked like a little sort of pony trotting after him all the way through it um, there was no time to do anything at all. There was no time even to eat. I mean, the, the, you're in the city with some of the best places to eat in the whole world, and you're back in your hotel getting a bit of room service if you're lucky. It was a. It was. I've often thought that if you have a lovely time while you're filming, it doesn't necessarily mean that the end product is going to be that good. Conversely, and it's often the case, if you've had an absolutely awful time in the filming. Often the end result is fantastic. And the result, the point of it is that the programme, when it's done, is worth watching. The point is not that I had a good time in Paris. So I'm, in, in many ways, I often kind of rather hope it's not going to be that great because I think the likelihood then is that what you achieved is good. It's just getting there is, is quite hard. What's coming up at the moment? What are you working on? I'm filming at the moment, um, I'm actually filming tomorrow so I can only do one day at MCM um, and I can't say, very annoyingly, I'm enjoying it, I'm very happy, um, but yeah, I, I might lose my job if I say. <laughs> Any sort of loosest hint, film, TV, oh nothing at all. It's a show, it's a, oh can I say that, yeah it's a show, it's not a film, but that's pretty much about it. Um, that I can say right now, I actually don't even know when I'm going to be allowed to say, annoyingly so. Um, it's just getting like crazy with this stuff, isn't it? So they like to keep it like. Ooh. I get it. I get it with the thing that I'm doing though, because it, you, it'll make sense. So yeah, unfortunately, I can't. I can't say that um, right now. Uh, but yeah, shooting till middle of January. I've been shooting for a bit already. Yeah. So, but looking forward to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. I mean, again, you can say you can't answer this, but mm. I'm curious. We've talked before about how your roles. Quite often fit into sort of one or two categories. They're either light and heroic, or they're quite dark and uh, yeah. and sinister. What side of the fence are you falling on this one? Can you say that? Or is that, is that uh, it's a good question. Um, I can't really. No, I can't really say. He's not. I, I can't say. <laughs> I, I've tried to see how hard I tried then but yeah obviously with the innocence now the innocence is off and I couldn't speak about that for six months yeah that was obviously I was falling on the darker side with the innocence um, but this yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't say dark side I'm so scared of saying that <laughs> <laughs> um, perhaps we should move on you've got yeah. a few um, film projects coming up next year yeah have I what Go on. to IMDb, you know? Oh, IMDb. Do you know, I'm connected to some stuff on IMDb that I've never even heard of. <laughs> because you can't... Con- they do it. They, people put your name up and you're like, what is that? It's, it sounds great, but... Yeah. No, I shot a few films this year, yeah. uh, which should be out next year. Yeah, Homer's Ashes and Chestersburg and stuff. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I am involved Can in you it. talk about those two? Yeah, yeah, what do you want to know? 
Um, Chestersburg is is a really interesting one. It's a it's a comedy. It's like a docu thing, a mockumentary, and it's about a guy called Chestersburg who uh, no chest yeah is that his last name? I think it's his last name. Um, he basically owns a plot of land in England and makes murder legal there. <laughs> so it's like the Purge mixed with the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> it's re- it's actually very very funny. I play DCI Waits, who's an absolute <laughs> who of a cop who um, thinks he can control it all and, and this that and the other. So and loves the count the fact that he's having a documentary made. So he loves being in it. So there's a, there's a lot of scope for a lot of fun in there. It was a low budget thing that the director raised money for, you know, crowdfunding and stuff. But as soon as he sent me the script, I, I absolutely loved the concept. I thought the concept was just funny straight away. You you laughed as soon as I said it. So you, he's onto a good thing there. So hopefully it comes to fruition. And but he's he spent two years making it and he's he's worked his butt off. So um, so yeah, that was good to be a part of that. Um, I like to get involved in the in the things like that that mean something to people because I do the same and I ask for favours so when people come to me and say oh, will you do this low budget film you know I obviously give it I give it a shot all the time yeah time dependent so so yeah so in in, in, in that and then yeah obviously yeah, in something else there was um, one other one Homeless Ashes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's another interesting one. That's again, that's uh, kind of a crowdfunding funded film that came from um, the guy wanting to raise awareness, you know, about the homeless and, and stories behind. Everybody's got a different homeless story, and it follows this guy's uh, journey becoming homeless and all the people he meets on the way. And I am one of those people. So uh, Jason Fleming's in that as well, which is nice because obviously he was in Primeval with me. He keeps cropping up into my life. So. <laughs> Turn over and he's in bed like, all right. <laughs> no, me and Fleming have been mates for years, so it's, it's good to kind of work on another job with him. Um, but yeah, I think that's, and also the wireless, wireless next year will be my last year of doing my web show. So there's two episodes left, and then I'll be done. And it's taken me five years to do. So, uh, thank God. <laughs> but no, it's good. We've got a re the, for the last one. The last one's going to be more like a film. The last episode is going to be a, an extra long You're one. Still acting and directing. Yeah, yep. for convenience. So, but yeah, it's obviously I've taken the the character through the the journey, and it's it's nearly at an end now. So that's going to be nice. And then I will be on to other directing things, which I'm looking forward to. The next couple of years, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna still act and stuff, but I'm gonna try and. Um, focus on my directing as well so um, we'll see yeah but I'm very much looking forward to Christmas <laughs> I'm a big kid so yeah so have you seen any of the troopers this weekend in costume what do you guys think of the Five and First what do we think of what the Five and First garrison wow they're always good aren't they yeah because you're you're very important you you make money for people you, uh do charity work and appear all over the place and I think it's most excellent and uh, all the guys I've met in the 501st have been and ladies have been ladies and gentlemen really nice people so I thank them for that what's the 501st? it's the the, the um, how would you describe it? It's, it's the, a huge it's, it's charitable organisation that's grown right. over the years yeah. and it builds up members who go to absolute great lengths to create these 
these costumes and props. Oh, I get you. I get you. Know, you they're all the stormtroopers. Absolutely, I understand. Yes. I understand. So a lot of those okay. costumes in there that we're seeing out there. Yeah, a lot done. of them will be. Oh, right, okay. You're a bit like there. malaria. You're all over the world. Everywhere I've been, I think you're more fun than malaria. Yeah, but you see more events. I've been injected. Oh, yeah. That was excellent. Does not take to keep going? They did with booze. That's right. Making friends. Ken, I heard a wonderful rumour years ago, and you may know if this is true or not, that George Lucas liked your character so much that even though you got taken out by an A-Wing in Return of the Jedi, that he thought, his headcanon was that you survived. Have you ever heard that? Never in my life. (laughs) Whoa. No, I... I was only in, uh, as written in Empire, but he said there was a sort of fan response to the character. So he said, do you want to be in the next one? I've no idea what you're going to do. Mm. Come back. And I said, okay, yes. You know, does Dolly Parton sleep on her back? (laughs) And I did, and I sat there whilst they rehearsed Jabba the Hutt, and he wrote a scene. And there you are, Ken, another one next week. I've no idea what it's going to be. It's good. Was a lot of that on set then, improvisation of scripting as it, as it went along? Or Sorry, was it? Was there a lot of um, rewriting of scripting as it went along? Because, of course, we were meant to believe that John The movies, um, you always do fifth rewrite that's been shoved under your door at midnight that's the night it. before <laughs> when you were asleep and you wake up to, I'm not doing the scene <laughs> I learned, I'm doing this bloody thing. And then you start work and it's rewritten again. Yes. That's the, bre- that's the breakfast version, isn't yeah. it? Breakfast and then they cut version. it in the edit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're just left raising an eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> Which may well be much better. Just, <laughs> just just have you found that in all film and TV you've all worked on then? Uh, almost exclusively. But I go yeah. right back to the, the time of studio TV back in the yeah. 70s and so on, when actually it was more like the theatre because you rehearsed for three weeks yeah. and outside. And then you went in for this crucial three hours when the yeah. lines were open and all the rest it of it, like, and you gave you had one shot at everything. You miss light and if you made a mistake, you had to go back and you do the go back entire again. scene again, yeah. not just a bit, because it was no, on you, electronic tape. That's right. Yeah. Very Except the, to the floor manager um, had a, a, a cable Sorry, with like an old Ooh. bell push on it, yeah. and if you dried up, he would push he would push that, oh, yeah. and that would deaden the sound, giving time to give a prompt to the actor. Right. If you didn't take it properly, then exactly as they describe, you'd have to start again. It's also quite was not unusual in that, that sort of circumstance when an actor would dry, that he would spontaneously burst out with what should we call an expletive, yeah. which of course is not so good on the finished show if he's playing the king or something like that. <laughs> and I suspect that the the floor manager would have had the same. He would have seen it coming as the guy went. <laughs> so you just see a guy going <laughs> so there's all sorts of tricks but I you know I wouldn't say we need to go back to that stuff because the cinematography was nothing like as good as it is now nice. cameras got the shot the cables switched across the floor and all the rest I of it I can remember live television yeah. you did it live originally. so this it was all live yes it was that was uh, that was a training was it a better challenge for you then to do live than it is to do then I never did live but I did I did that kind of recording yeah. which is almost the same thing but was it, was it just frightening, live? What was it? What? No, well, was well it for right? me, well, because I was new to the medium, it was frightening anyway, so it was just the same. Mm, mm. Um, I had no awareness of how much more it could be. Now, when I went back, they brought it back briefly, and I agreed to do one, and then I knew what fear was. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes. Because Not I, the Doctor Who one. No, no. Um, the Quatermass one. A series one. of... The Piers Haggard did the first one that I Piers was Haggard. in. A half hour 
about what was taken from that day's newspaper. Oh, quite yes, that's right. And so the writers, three of them, really sat in a room and handed you the scenes as they occurred to them. Mm. And between nine o'clock and ten that evening, you went on doing it. Sounds like dropping the dead donkey. That's it's called Eleventh yeah. Hour. It was a series called Eleventh Hour. Yeah. Then I knew what fear was. And this morning, it's coming back. Was that just the shakes from last night? (laughs) Oh, you. Oh, you beat. My secret view. The filming as it's done now can be quite reassuring in a way. Obviously, you you, you sit around for an awful lot of times, lottery rights, as Ken says. But on the other hand, if you shoot the same scene from 20 different angles, You're pretty sure that the editor's going to get something that's good. You don't, yeah. 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 Well, you think so. so you, you don't worry so much when you go and think, "Did I do that all right?" Because you think, "Well, I did it twenty times. One yeah. of them must have been yes. okay." Sure. <laughs> so I, I, it's much in a way, it's much more satisfying. The problem is you don't. It's not in your control. It's I've lost control. something with maybe not enough flight. I know it's yeah. it's a lot of pressure on everyone involved, yeah. but. Yeah. There's something magical about light TV. Of course there is. That yeah. worry it like whether it's shared by the actors or the audience yeah. that something could go horribly wrong. Yeah. That's what you're waiting for, though, isn't it? Yes, well, it's certainly yeah. made a lot of TV uh, shows out of all these bloopers. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're the kind who watch for the glitch, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I just like the anarchy of children's TV I back in the Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it was yeah. Tiswas in Birmingham or uh, the more sort of uh, conservative swap shop, I just love that kind of anarchy. And I think we have lost something, whether it's a mistake or or a, yeah. a, a, yeah. someone corpsing because of you know Dudley Moore and sort of Peter Cook, yeah. for example. Or letting Brian Blessed loose on going live. Yeah. Very cosy, isn't it? It's very cosy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I feel like we're about to deliver a Brexit withdrawal yeah. agreement. <laughs> or... No deal! Or we're Hezbollah or something. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Pablo Raybould, uh, writer and director, and I am the DI as well in The Snarling. Lawrence Saunders, and I am an actor, and I play Les and Greg in The Snarling. Uh, Dee Johnston, an actor as well, and I play Haskins opposite the DI. Um, tell us a little bit more about the snarling itself, how it came to be. Uh, well, it came to be because I was in, a, actually, I was in a film with Stee that uh, was being shown at South End at the Horror on Sea Film Festival. And having seen some of the films, I thought, you know what? We could do this. Um, and so it was basic, as basic as that, you know. So I went back, uh, I was going to write it with Ben. Ben was in a stage show at the time. Um, with Chris Simmons and Joel Beckett, both of which we recruited to be in the film. But by the time he'd finished, I'd written it. So um, it was quite a quick process. Uh, then we put it together. Ben's connection again. Ben is the uh, editor and he plays uh, Bob in it as well. Uh, I just think then. And yeah, and he produced it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and he managed to get uh, Alex Moses, the son of Albert Moses, who was an American werewolf in London. So we pieced it together. And with we, got people. Al- we got Albert, you got Albert Moses as well. We got Albert, yeah, through that. And uh, we pieced it together with people we know and have worked with and respect, like Lawrence and Steve and everybody else. So, yeah. And you we, respect us. That's, that's first time. Hey, I've it's never heard that. that. You're oh, just slagging us off. Okay. That's nice and there's okay, proof I'll, now. I'll, I'll, Thank I'll you. Oh. People we know. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, Horror on Sea had, had quite a impact on the development of the film because you yeah. had the idea to make it. Uh, one horror on sea. By the next horror on sea, you'd it's made a the teaser, the yep. kind mm-hmm. of little promo trailer. And by the 
the next wasn't quite the next one was it, it was the one after the yeah it was actually we jumped debuted. one but we did uh, was it yeah we did put a short into represent well we had shown it to Paul Cockgrove who runs that festival it's probably the best organised festival in the land I'd say because we've done a fair few and it's superb he's got a real passion for it and we took it down before it was scored and and uh, the sound was altered properly and he watched it without the sound he's been in the industry for 30 years so he he knows its potential and what it's going to be and he just thought he loved it so um, and uh, having screened it there originally we actually went back this January uh, this mm-hmm. is the only time a film's been shown a second time and also it was sold out as well which is the first time it's ever had a maximum crowd and that was brilliant So, mm-hmm. um, and it's all with their support really so yeah, yeah. they are responsible for this and there was, uh, was there the f- there was, so there's a, there was the full moon thing as well because there was a full moon when we were at the first time at Horror on Sea when you screened there was a full moon when we started shooting it yeah, yeah. and a full moon when we finished shooting it as well just bizarrely yeah and then, and then when it was played there was a full moon when yeah, we were at the festival yeah. as yeah. well so it's kind and of, you love moon in as well moon, don't you yeah, yeah. yeah. So. that out <laughs> Yeah. So that was quite a full move. Sorry. Putting the whole film together, financing it, recruiting your actors, and, and actually going into production. Financing it was uh, <clears throat> well. We we thought about going down the crowdfunding route. In fact, we did a little bit, but that I don't know. It just presents a lot of problems in itself. I think. I yeah. personally, I don't like making a film with. When you go crowdfunding, it's always friends and family that seem. It's like going around like doing a sponsored run or something. It's friends and family, isn't it? Predominantly, mm. and I didn't really want to be sort of going capping hand to friends and family. Um, I think crowdfunding works if you've got a crowd already in place. Mm. So uh, my cousins in a, in a band, and uh, they had a really big following. And one of their albums, they they crowdfunded. I think that mm. something that happened with the record label. They crowdfunded it and were able to do that within ten minutes of the launch of the crowdfunding, hitting the target. If you haven't got the crowd already there, it does feel yeah. Yeah. you're asking friends and family. And and then also there's the whole thing about it's great that people get something in return. They maybe mm. invest in the film, but they're going to get a DVD or there might be set visits and all those kind of things. And that's fantastic. The other side is the logistics of that because that can then get in the way because when you're making the film you're there to do a, a job of work yeah. and it's great to have people come down and visit etc but it, it does add a, ho- a whole level of uh, complications mm-hmm. it. and I think the crowdfunding campaign itself almost needs the kind of uh, have to put in invest the energy that you would in making the film, <coughs> in, the film you do, yeah. in the first place so you didn't, you didn't do we, a little we bit? We did a little bit. We got a little bit, and the rest of it was really self-funded. Nivea commercial. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm. and I just landed a big commercial. Just Strangely, I was at the parking in Southend for the Horror on Sea Film Festival when I got a phone call, and I was with Ben and Alex, who was the DOP on it, and I said, excuse me a second, because I couldn't get a signal, went outside, and it was, I was they, I've got the advert, basically, and I thought, great. So I went back in and said, right, we're making the film, and this is the funding we need. So massive thanks to Nivea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, we use the product a lot, don't we? Yeah, we do. So useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve's actually 57. I am, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the actual story of the snark? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. It's, um, it's a film crew that uh, is making a zombie film, uh, a bit of a naff one at that, uh, with... An actor, Greg Lupine, who is an absolute diva, he's a nightmare to work with. Um, uh, but whilst they're making the film, things start happening. Uh, a couple of people have been attacked, they lost a cameraman, you know, in an earlier scene when they were filming. 
and it becomes quite obvious that there's something out there that's tearing these people to pieces and some of the locals where they're filming as well. So everybody thinks it's going to be a zombie film because it opens like that, but it isn't. That's the foil. So it's uh, there is a protagonist out there. We tried to keep a lid on that to start with, but it's a, it's a werewolf film. And how did you get on with the, the effects in the film? Because they are quite impressive. No, oh, thank you. It's um, well, this is down to uh, Jenny, Jenny, yeah, yeah mm. uh, who uh, uh, me, Ben, and Jen basically really did so much. I mean, f- gosh, I mean the the days would start. I don't know, about four in the morning, lugging the generator over the fields to set that up, to fuel it up, to get it going, to get the heaters going, which was a log burner in the middle of this uh, this uh, building in the middle of the fields, um, and of course we couldn't leave it overnight either because there was no security. So it were, there were long days. And just going back to the effects, I'll say Jen also uh, did the body of the uh, the beast, which uh, unfortunately we didn't show too much of. It was a decision when we were filming it. Uh, ben and I decided that we wouldn't show too much of it. A little bit like um, you know, John Landis said, he showed too much of the wolf in American Werewolf. So we decided to... It's a shame, actually, because a lot of the budget went on that. There's a thousand, <laughs> a thousand pounds worth of hair because uh, it came from the, uh, America, the same people that did Chewbacca's uh, fur and everything. So it was it looked bloody good. It would look amazing. It, and it would look mm. even better if somebody could see it, but uh, we decided not to. Yeah, yeah, because you went down the route because that kind of builds the tension, doesn't yeah. it? And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a clip that Ben was just talking about. Um, Two, two, frames. two frames early on in the film that you see the werewolf, but it's like that, and if you if you don't know it's there, yeah. anybody won't spot it. It's like subliminal, yeah. almost like the subliminal advert. It's like that bit burns. in The Exorcist, isn't it, where there's just a face pops up of yes. a devil in The Exorcist for no reason, and it's just like, bam, Ooh, you're there, and it's like two frames. Well, there you go. There you go, right. And a bit like the Fight Club as well, there's, there's the things, the edits, to, is it towards the end of that? Yeah. yeah. So you've done a few festivals already. What's the audience reaction been like to the film? been great it's been yeah, really. it really has everywhere we've mm. been with it uh we won a big award in um in the states as well they showed it over there we, we won the genre class um and the reviews have been superb as well because we we sort of we, we sort of prepared for a few knocks um not that you ever want to see them but you've got to be prepared for it and especially um, with this because you've got horror and comedy and obviously horror's got such a big fan base if you mess with that yeah um and don't sort of stick by those rules and you know pay the appreciation yeah. to horror you're going to have the horror fans yeah. annoyed but the fact that you sort of and did the travel other way around. and the other way around with comedy, comedy yeah way. and i think it does work um really well it's sort of straight down the middle yeah and, it, and, and a comedy is notoriously hard as well on film. There's lots of, you know, I can think of like cla- uh, classic British sitcoms that have been made into films yeah. that have not done well at all. But actually, when the films played at festival festival screenings, the audiences have laughed throughout, which yeah. is and which jumped is really, a few times jumped, as well. Yeah, 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 which is really good, isn't it? Because you don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to sit there and sometimes with drama, it's easy to get away with because there's not the big. Uh, you know, the, the big laugh moment, yeah. yeah. moments or the big scare moments, and if you th- if there's an audience there sitting there in silence throughout a drama, you're thinking, well, they're really in- intently yeah. watching this and they're getting loads out of it. But actually, with a horror and, and with a comedy, especially if the audience is sitting there in silence, you've done something wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. strangely as well with this one, <clears throat> we uh, you talked about sitting there watching it intently, and the people do they you know they're they're into it, they're following the story, they're getting the laughs, they're getting everything. And then they watch it a second time, and they think they watch mm. a totally different film because there's so many hidden Easter eggs of gags in there or references. Mm. 
So just to wrap up, uh, where can people see the snowing? Well, it's available on Sky TV. Uh, you can download that. Uh, it's on VOD. Uh, you can get it at HMV. They're stocking it on the shelves. Tower Records as well, I think. Zavi is it? On Zavi online. Yeah. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. Amazon Prime. Yeah, because we were riding high in the pre-order charts yeah. of Amazon before it came we out. It's sold out. Yeah. HMV. HMV online. HMV yeah. sold out. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for joining us here at MCM Comic Con Birmingham, November 2018. We have been Brimming. A big thank you to Reed Hop and the MCM team for giving us some passes, allowing us down allowing us to mess about as we usually do Keith where can we find you online you can find me at hardluck underscore hotel on twitters and just take that underscore out for pretty much everywhere else Lee where can we find your internet presence uh, you can find me on twitter at the cheap ferrets Callum have you renamed it yet it's okay you can either find me at Bubba Goose Audio on twitter or instagram or if I've changed it you can find me at Bubba Audio on twitter and instagram and then I must Snapchat, which is Dane's one or something. <laughs> you can find me not having to listen to one of Guy Halford's pithy little remarks for a change. Hold on, I'm sure I can think of one. <laughs> no, lost your chance. You can find me at Ryan Parrish on Twitter. Find the feature stuff at Ruby Gormond on Twitter and everywhere else. And you can find us all at GeekyBrummy at GeekyBrummy.com, GeekyBrummy on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Don't forget to check out the YouTube stuff. We did throw some stuff up there recently. And if you fancy giving us a little bit of a tip, go to ko-fi.com forward slash geekybrummy. But for now, bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to support Geeky Brummy, you can help support us at ko-fi.com slash geekybrummy. That is ko-fi.com geekybrummy.